this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host dee sampath the national education policy 2020 or nep 2020 as it's called among other things has also envisaged what is being called assessment reform that is changing the way school students are assessed with this objective in mind it has recommended setting up a centralized national level assessment regulator called parak p a r a k h which stands for performance assessment review and analysis of knowledge for holistic development the government invited international consultants to bid for a contract to help set up parak and now three global non profits educational testing services or ets as it's known american institutes for research air and the australian council for educational research aso have expressed interest in taking this up so how will having a centralized assessment regulator change the way assessments are done in india today why are we seeking the help of foreign non profits for setting up parak don't we have the same kind of expertise in india and how will something like parak help secure better educational outcomes for our students we explore all these questions in some detail in this episode of the infocus podcast and our guest today is dr maya john who teaches history at jesus and mary college delhi university maya thank you so much for joining us thank you uh maya to start with can you just uh, give us an overview of the reasons which the nep 2020 offers for setting up a centralized examination regulator why do we need it it's a very good and important question i would start by saying that this proposal of having a centralized examination regulator is part of a larger ecosystem of policy making under the uh, nep we have the nep constantly playing on you know the rhetoric of doing away with rote learning breeding critical thinking standardized assessment to track progress in learning as well as the you know uh, nep's the new education policies promotion of a centralized examination regulator all of which need to be seen in the context of a certain reality a certain prevailing reality in india one aspect of this reality is the larger policy thrust towards promoting what is known as multiple pathways of learning while another aspect of the reality is um, the country's federal structure and the prevailing educational inequalities within this federal structure in terms of different kinds of schools and school boards in existence now within the federal structure education is a subject lies within the concurrent list on the ground this has reproduced a very typical scenario that many of us are aware of that is the existence within the different states of a sizable number of government schools that are affiliated generally to the state boards and simultaneously there is the existence of an array of you know private schools and a few premier centrally funded government schools like kendra vidyalayas navodaya sainik schools etc which are affiliated to the uh, national boards like cbsc and icsc whose syllabus like cbsc syllabus is uh, closely structured by the ncert the ncert uh, is the same body under which the proposed examination regulator uh, that parak is hinting at will be functioning under uh, as an arm of the ncert so this situation has you know 
already been breeding a very curious condition where students coming out of multiple school boards with varying syllabi and varying assessment patterns are subsequently competing for you know admission it's like a musical chairs over limited resources limited seats in the premier centrally funded universities like delhi university jawaharlal nehru university jamia bhu etc now this situation has bred certain problems especially around the time of admissions in a place like delhi university a centrally funded university we've seen that you know these popular courses for example the political science honors course in the last academic session 21 22 in you know top colleges of du like hindu college saw you know 140 admissions happening in the course and uh, a breakup of you know who got those seats showed that out of those 140 seats in political science honors you know 120 came from a particular board the kerala board uh, and uh, a few uh, thing three came from rajasthan one from haryana etc and you know precisely when we went into the cuet the common university entrance test format from this year onwards if you look at the same course a very popular course political science and what the admission pattern has been in the same college top level college hindu college we've seen a change where out of you know the 59 students who've taken admission under the first list uh, only one is from uh, you know the regional board that is a kerala board so you know of course uh, you know this is a this is a very interesting phenomena and this the students who have currently taken admission under this very popular course in north campus hindu college are coming from actually the national board that is cbsc so we are seeing now earlier there was a different uh, uh, disbalance and now in the new system under cuet uh, it's the cbsc disbalance that has come into play uh, maya let me stop you that what is the reason uh, for this uh, disproportionate representation of uh... or uh, cbse students under cuet is it because cuet uh, questions are are coming mostly from cbse syllabus at the expense of other boards uh, what they teach the students or is it like some other reason because even the earlier disbalance where you said 120 out of 140 were from kerala board uh, that is also not a very uh, ideal situation and here where you have like mostly everybody coming from cbse under cuet is also not ideal so uh, like what is the reason for this cuet we supposed to, the, the, see when we did a podcast on cuet some time back and one of the logics behind uh, cuet was that uh, to sort of eliminate the disparity and you know the lack of equivalence between different boards now in the name of that cuet was brought in and now you are saying that uh, most students under cuet are from cbse board and other boards are not getting adequate representation Exactly so it is a disbalance and you rightly picked on this point and this is because what has happened is that students coming out of the regional boards the state boards have different content in their school textbooks and uh, they had to prepare separately for the CUET the common university entrance test uh, whose syllabus and content was largely taken from you know the CBSC the national board uh you know material so it meant separate hard work for a lot of students coming out of state boards and this is of course translated into you know a situation where you know the cbsc uh students who already have been studying this syllabus you know in their 10th 11th 12th have the uh you know advantage uh, in the cuet exam so given this advantage in cuet for example for cbsc students and the fact as you correctly said state board students have to do extra work to understand the syllabus of cbse for the cuet 
Uh, does it mean that uh, wouldn't it encourage if I was a parent of a state board student, wouldn't it encourage more and more parents in state boards to sort of migrate their students to CBSE schools? See, Sampath, here again, you know, that larger prevailing reality of Indian education comes in at, at the level of various states, uh, which are the schools which are offering the CBSE. It is uh, largely the private schools and it's the government schools which offer the state board. So if there is, you know, uh, uh, an economic uh, a limitation of a particular household, they're not going to be able to, you know, shift or make this transition uh, from state board to, you know, the national boards like CBSC that easily because it means then paying up uh, for private school fees. And many households in India just cannot afford that. So obviously, that is precisely where the exclusion is going to increase. And uh, many of us, you know, in the field of education are already seeing CUET as a problem. And similarly, we, we see Parak is also going to pose a problem. And it doesn't actually address the deeper inequality qualities uh, that exist within schooling system uh, and overall uh, in terms of education. Um, so I was hinting at this, you know, I said that we, we are seeing a situation where there is this kind of disbalance. And to address the disbalance, you know, what is happening is or these tensions that always erupt around the times of admissions into higher education, into, you know, the, the, the good government funded colleges. The solution has been floated as, you know, we can address the disbalance uh, between school boards by standardizing the assessment and the examination system at the school level. And uh, at another level, we can introduce uh, a common entrance test for admission into central universities. That is why CUET came into force this year. And similarly, a little a little earlier, uh, when it came to professional education, uh, we likewise saw that the introduction of NEET, etc. came in. Uh, but all these measures, you know, all these measures, they're actually leaving unaddressed the root cause of the problem. CUET, that is the Common University Entrance Test, and now this, you know, centralized examination regulator for school boards represent interventions at the final stage of schooling. That is the examination uh, uh, level at, at senior secondary or the entrance stage when you're just about to move into college leaving unaddressed the rampant inequality in the quality of school education before that final exam stage starts. So this is something which is not only glossed over, but also reproduced by the entire rhetoric of multiple pathways to learning that NEP talks about. So needless to say, you know, multiple pathways does not mean equity in the sphere of learning. Um, I would like to just quickly say here that, you know, in a context of overt assessment and this whole shift towards, you know, trying to evolve new ways of assessing, a solution to the disbalance between school boards is being sought while concealing, therefore, the more grave, deep-rooted problem that is a lack of parity between different kinds of schools which exist. The divide in the learning experience and the opportunities across government schools affiliated to state boards and private schools affiliated to national boards is hardly going to be addressed with the imposition of a single regulator. Uh, Maya, just, just to just introduce, so are, are you saying that there are no private schools which are affiliated to state boards? Few, few and far in between. The tendency is if you look very closely at the structure, at the level of various states, it's majoritarily the private schools that offer the national boards like CBSC and, and ICSC, while the government schools in the states offer the state board. 
I also felt that another key reason why the NEP proposed, you know, this uh, centralized regulator for examinations is also, um, you know, because the current re- ruling regime is also very actively trying to control the content or what is imparted in the name of school education. And here in particular, I'd like to draw attention to, you know, the promotion of industry-related education, uh, which is a pet demand, you know, uh, a key demand of the business lobby in India that has been, you know, consciously looking for creation of a multi-skilled workforce so as to escape the costs of on-the-job training themselves. So this is also one way in which you set certain standardized parameters for assessment. So slowly, slowly also shape uh, the syllabi and bring in, you know, more industry-related, you know, skill kind of education into the uh, syllabus. And so, you know, what we're seeing is this very interesting tension, a dichotomy between, you know, knowledge being diluted, good, true, true, you know, learning in knowledge versus, you know, more market oriented skills and education being driven more by market oriented skills that becoming the purpose of education. So, you know, these are the kind of trends that actually Parak is, you know, reflecting and it's a part of. Right. You, when you, when you, when you began giving a response uh, to my question, you began by saying that uh, the NEP 2020 uh, talks about uh, things like, you know, the problems with rote learning and the importance of uh, generating critical thinking and so on. And you said you characterize these references as rhetoric. Now, are they just rhetoric or don't you also agree that there are actually problems in the way student assessments are conducted in India at present, which do tend to prioritize memory and uh, rote learning? I say, see, that these problems that are being flagged in the you know policy documents it's there i mean in, in many ways they're being correctly identified as problems but the solutions being floated uh, are actually where you know you see the uh, you know where the regime where the you know educational bureaucracy is actually making a huge blunder the solutions being offered uh, to these problems of learning are actually what we need to identify as being very, very, you know, problematic. The, the point is that, you know, tests and examination-oriented assessment is, of course, a very big problem. And most of these tests and examination-oriented assessment now, which is taking the form of what we call, you know, these objective type of questions, MCQs, etc., they're really reducing things to just testing memory, uh, or power of recall, and, you know, textual reproduction, basically leading up to rote learning. Now, education of one kind or the other, you know, in in, in human society has existed. But exams and this form of testing, and particularly the regular forms of, you know, testing, uh, are attempts, you know, basically to quantify how much a student has learned. And, you know, this form of exams and regular testing, uh, to you know, to know how much a student has learned has not necessarily always existed. The practice of requiring frequent exams, many of us, you know, uh, feel that this is actually a very recent innovation, uh, particularly these forms of testing such as, you know, MCQs, multiple choice questions, etc. So, you know, I would say that, uh, uh, you know, what is actually happening is that frequent exams and, you know, frequent assessment or this overt focus on assessment and rote learning uh, or quantity driven assessment is actually, you know, it teaches children even more that it actually is testing them. And what we're finding, therefore, is that, you know, this centralized examination system under a single regulator will actually only be a further regimentalization of learning in, you know, a set format centrally decided by, you know, the ruling elite, the dominant uh, classes in our society. 
And how how does this fit in with this talk? Everybody is talking about moving away from assessment of learning, which is the traditional uh, way of examination uh, approach, to assessment for learning, where you identify learning gaps, how much a person has learned, what are the students' uh, you know, particular inclinations and talents and so on. So is that a good direction to go in and is this a whole framework of PARC aimed towards this, this movement from assessment of learning to assessment for learning? Again, a very interesting uh, observation, Sampat. Yes, you know, there is, uh, uh, you know, much talk about moving away from assessment of learning to assessment for learning, uh, particularly through, you know, a, a platform like Parak. Um, but, you know, again, I would, you know, I would emphasize that all of this really boils down to empty rhetoric. And this is really, you know, all language of rhetoric where you're saying you're going to move from assessment of learning to assessment for learning. Because I see all of this actually at the end of the day is a kind of a garnishing, you know, a fancy garnishing. Uh, uh, and eventually, you know, what is happening is uh, because there's a neglect of the deeper problems. What is evident is that, you know, standardization and equivalence in learning outcomes Evolving creative, you know, assessment means uh, which take us away from rote learning. You know, how will all of this be achieved as long as per capita allocation of funds for education by the Indian state keeps falling? And as long as India's youth go to different schools and as a society, we keep thwarting postponing the need for common school system that every every child every youth goes to the same school not to different schools not that a, a large number are going to government schools which are being run down and crumbling and, and collapsing and a certain segment goes to private school till that the infrastructure of inequality remains the axes around which learning happens will remain unequal starting from day one a second important point, uh, why I think that all this rhetoric actually amounts to, you know, a garnishing, but not actually an addressal of the deeper problems uh, from which, you know, learning disparities are emerging, uh, is that, you know, whenever there is, you know, these kind of fancy, you know, models being discussed and thought about, the actual stakeholders are never consulted. So majority of stakeholders do not know the contours of the policies uh, such as Parak. And there is always, you know, such a massive push towards imposing these these formulas without any meaningful consultation with the actual stakeholders. So there are actually many gray areas, you know, in terms of how this body, how Parak is actually going to eventually achieve, you know, its so-called projected goals, especially when it's not, you know, the education system is not going to be changed in many other crucial ways. Now, the NEP uh, or the, uh, the New Education Policy 2020, you know, proposed a multitude of, of, you know, sample and population tests to identify what is called as learning gaps, learning disparities. Now, in turn, identifying and addressing these gaps, learning uh, uh, gaps, is one of the key agendas of Parak. Now, we can expect this process uh, involving testing of learning gaps to translate into the promotion of um, you know, certain kinds of new assessment methods that facilitate the exercise of choice by learners on how they would like to be assessed. And in such a context, we can identify that, you know, uh, tendentially, you know, private schools catering to relatively well-off students to filter in and eventually generalize as the norm, the use of online submissions 
or extensive use of online, you know, proof of their learning, such as making videos, you know, these PPTs, etc., as proof that, you know, that the student is learning and taking back something. And as a tool for fostering what we also see in the policy documents, peer-to-peer learning. Now, with such shift, you know, towards these forms of assessing students using the online mode and etc., with, you know, such shifts uh, towards enhanced, you know, expenditure, you know, are, are they really going to be something that students trapped in government schools are easily going to be able to adopt? So, you know, these core problems uh, along the lines of division of, you know, as I keep saying, uh, India's youth going to different schools is not be ad- is not going to be addressed, and therefore the learning gaps and inequalities will persist. Uh, I would say, lastly, that you know such shifts towards you know that we're seeing the government you know spend a lot of money uh, uh, on developing assessment infrastructure, you know, especially spending so much money on, on assessment infrastructure, which is divorced from the realities of, you know, the larger shrinking of state funding for its own government schools, pathetic teaching infrastructure, and uh, the prevailing educational inequalities and hierarchies along lines of class, caste, gender, region. You know, how are uh, how are these kind of realities until they're not addressed? Uh, you know, how are they going to in any ways help our schooling system uh, improve uh, or to come up with innovative ways of, you know, filling or addressing learning gaps? Speaking of this uh, so socioeconomic disparities, Maya, I mean, one of the things uh, which uh, which we find in this product document is that it is supposed to conduct the future national achievement surveys, NAS surveys, and review all aspects of design and conduct of previous NAS exercises and identify areas of improvement. Now, you spoke about the need to be sort of in touch with the ground realities of disparities in learning outcomes. And I would imagine NAS is actually a very comprehensive survey, as you know. It produces a great deal of data on precisely these socioeconomic factors behind learning disparities. So, can you just explain who conducts NAS now? What are its current shortcomings because I think it's doing a good job and how will Parak uh, make it different when Parak takes over the conduct of future national achievement surveys? So it's a very good survey it's a rich survey and you know it is conducted presently by the Department of School Education and Literacy uh, Ministry of Education the government of India and it does uh, uh, as you rightly pointed out it does collect pretty comprehensive structured feedback on, on student learning levels at the district level, at the state level, and at the uh, national levels. Now, these inputs, you know, uh, that are collected through these periodic uh, surveys, they are supposed to be used for policy planning and for designing pedagogical interventions. But again, here comes the question that does it translate into the, does, is this data, this very rich data, is it actually translating into good policy making? Okay, the much needed or appropriate policy making. And here, of course, there is a huge anomaly. As I said, the interventions are used uh, not so much to address uh, the inequalities in the classrooms and across school to address, you know, this long pending issue of why we don't have a common school system. Rather, the uh, data is then used just to make certain cosmetic changes very often uh, through these kind of interventions that we are, that I mentioned earlier at the final stage, you know, the exam stage or the entrance stage, the final years of school, rather than from day one, the interventions are missing. I would, you know, add on and say that, you know, the NAS 
whatever you know uh, information it is providing the point is that of course we can say that the data is is not adequately being used for required policy in the sense that um, when you're when the data is showing certain inequalities you know around the lines of caste or gender why is it that in current times we are seeing that despite such kind of very uh, clear cut you know information about inequality and how it needs to be addressed is being you know collected by the government why is it not translating into the creation of more uh you know public funded schools government schools rather what we're seeing is the merger of government schools and in that ways a closure of many government schools so you know that's what i'm saying right so you are saying basically that the, the the issue is not so much the quality of the data but actually the way uh, the data is not being used for making the appropriate uh, policy changes i'm sorry to rush you we are running out of time here i just wanted you to come in quickly on another question uh, i've been meaning to ask actually so when we are for whatever reasons uh, there might be uh, trying to get some kind of a centralized regulator i i'm just curious about the structure so this parak is supposed to be a constituent body of the ncert and it's going to have international consultants uh, who will set it up so what exactly is going to be the structure of decision making as we make this new standards like and first of all why do we need an international consultant if it's a pedagogical intervention does india lack the kind of expertise you need to design uh, these kinds of norms and standards for assessment why do we need ets and air and acer for this again an important you know question uh, sampath i would say that you know um, it, it is in fact uh, you know a very Uh, problematic that we are bringing in foreign consultants to you know assess and rethink our uh, problems in school education and i think it's actually part of again uh, a larger you know policy shift where you know indian education uh, system is being modified uh, in a way in which you know through these through these international agencies and and consultants to facilitate uh through certain changes in the indian education system an easier flow of you know uh capital uh private capital you know between borders borders of different countries so we're actually trying to sync somewhere you know our education model uh with you know uh countries abroad particularly in the west uh very often of course overlooking the fact that you know uh their ecosystem of you know our uh, policy and education abroad is driven by very different realities how is the assessment ecosystem in other countries such as in western europe is is the parak model sort of uh, modeled on any particular foreign model of assessment is it centralized like this like how is it in in finland is often spoken of as an ideal uh, country for school education is it the same way there for example or any other country you want to talk about okay, the thing is i go back to the point i made earlier that uh in india itself we have to remember what our reality is we are a federal structure and we have our own you know uh, uh, educational disparities which are very unique massive amounts of inequality in education and so you know these models abroad uh, of other countries you know we can't simply emulate them their models of assessment of examination of you know uh, of assessment is based on the history of their schooling system which is uh, doesn't have the same kind of inequality levels that india does so really we shouldn't be turning to them at this point of time we should be using our own educationalists in our own country many of whom are very uh, well tuned with the with the realities and needs of the majority of people in this country 
So I think we should really be seeing, you know, the push towards international agencies. Um, it, it, it's really a way to push out more Indian, uh, ordinary Indian people from quality public uh, education and to push out Indian experts from the discourse and policy framing. It's really an attempt at that. And we're trying to just go after certain international benchmarks, which don't necessarily fit with or sync with the realities and needs of our own people. So I think this is very important. Uh, we have to remember the problems of access, equity, uh, 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 and uh, are, are real challenges for for our country today. Uh, uh, and we need to address them. Some, some people uh, some people would argue that uh, getting the help of global consultants would help uh, to integrate the Indian school system with global norms of assessment. Today, if you look at it, I mean, somebody who's got uh, who's passed class 12 or and then undergraduates in India, their certificates are not taken seriously by first world countries. You go to the US and you have to do one more BA or one more whatever. Go read the same thing for a similar kind of qualification once more. So will this not help in integrating the Indian education system more with the global norms so that it makes life easier for Indian students? But my response would be, you know, we have to prioritize. A small, minuscule section of India's youth is applying for universities abroad. The largest number of Indian students coming out of our schooling system in India are applying to Indian universities. How is it that we're addressing uh, the immense amount of exclusion that is happening uh, within the Indian university system, even despite the implementation of various kinds of reforms like CUH and all? The elite can opt, you know, for their tests, okay? And they're already opting for their tests, etc. cetera. Uh, uh, but we have to realize that, you know, uh, uh, the priorities of the country have to lie with respect to uh, what the majority of the people need. And the majority of the people uh, are actually vying for equitable quality education within their own country, within India. So really, I think, you know, a small elite section of students applying uh, or part of that larger uh, global market for education really should not be dominating policy. Rather, it should be the needs of uh, the ordinary citizen who's trying to use the channel of education to change inherited circumstances. Uh, that person, that household needs to be the focus of education policy in India. And we're not addressing that. We're definitely not addressing it by continuing to ignore common schooling. We're definitely not addressing it by perpetuating through NEP uh, correspondence mode of education. We're seeing a burgeoning of number of students uh, in, in India going for what is known as the NIOS, the National Institute of Open Schooling. Uh, and where do those children go after passing out with pathetic marks in class 12? They go into the worst private, you know, institutions, private colleges. They go into the correspondence mode of our central universities. Right. Uh, Maya, uh, we are running out of time. So do we, I just want to come back to the core uh, uh, subject of Parak here. Uh, one last question before we wind up. What do you think is going to be the impact of Parak on the role of state education boards? Because you did mention earlier that uh, there's going to be more and more pressure going forward on uh, students having to learn the CBSE syllabus, even if they are actually products of the state education boards. And now with Parak, again, coming from the center as an entity, which is going to set up common norms of assessment, common examinations, etc. The disparity, and not really the disparity, the diversity of syllabus, content, learning, which we find in different state boards. What happens to those state education boards after Parak? Sampath, 
of course uh, you know the state boards will suffer the stakeholders uh, namely the students that are products of state boards will suffer um i think i flagged an interesting example in terms of what happened with delhi university's admission process uh, this year where through the common university entrance test cuet uh, we actually saw a huge fall in the number of you know uh, students coming from regional boards being able to even uh, uh, get into du you know has that whole avenue has 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 stopped we also can expect that the content of you know state boards will suffer uh you know it will be pushed towards a more homogeneity a matching or syncing with uh the national boards content of syllabi the cbc cbsc syllabi for example so you know the diversity and richness of you know uh, a syllabi that is linked to local environments and local uh, histories will all be diluted in the process of you know trying to sync with uh uh you know the 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 national boards on the basis of which entrance tests on the basis of which parameters of assessment and standardization are are unfolding so yes these are the immediate threats uh and who will suffer again the large majority of students enrolled in government schools affiliated to state boards so would it be fair to say just to sum up would it be fair to say that this uh, entire entity new entity which is being created with the help of global consultants international consultants called parak which is uh, going to be the nodal point for assessment and as as the name says performance assessment review and analysis of knowledge uh, for holistic development would it be fair to say that this needs to be understood in terms of two axes one is uh, as you rightly pointed out the shift from a federal diverse regionalistic kind of a plural educational kind of a system which is broadly in place uh, towards more of a centralization centrally controlled centrally determined kind of framework on the one hand and on the other a shift from public towards a private schooling because you have at the same time government or state funded schools being uh, largely of regional boards or state boards and the centrally this uh, the private sector schools are largely following cbsc so federalism to centralization and public to private is that basically the nodal point where parak comes in with the final comments definitely uh, parak is a real threat as i said earlier to to the regional boards parak is also a real threat in terms of promoting uh, uh, further privatization in the school education sector and parak is definitely an intervention that comes in the final stages of education that's the examination stage the entrance to higher education stage leaving unaddressed the fact that inequalities and learning gaps actually uh, emerge and start much earlier in the school system and what are we doing to address that are we also increasing the number of seats and resources in higher education or are we just simply evolving newer ways of playing musical chairs and uh, allowing for further uh, uh, exclusion right so instead of instead of investing more resources in uh, teaching infrastructure we are sort of uh, spending a disproportionate amount of uh, these limited resources and assessment infrastructure and that's not what uh, the country actually needs thank you so much maya sorry to cut you short We are way out of uh, time right now. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your thoughts. Thank you so much. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.